Hey guys, on today's episode, we're talking about free range parenting. Huge, huge news story this last week about the family in, in Maryland. Maryland. And it's the second time around that they've gotten in big trouble because they let their kids walk to the park. It's a 10 year old, eight year old, or 10 year old and a six year old. Uh, we'll get into it. But the really crazy thing is, we actually uh, had our moms on too. Yeah, we did that to ourselves. Yeah, we got to introduce each other to our moms. And it was really, it was, that was fun and funny and great. And we're very grateful that they came on. Yeah, so let's do it. Hi, Miss Bianca. Hi, Ellie. What are you texting? I'm not. I'm I'm looking over our notes for today since oh, somebody's like, studious. Well, it's the first time I've ever been prepared for an episode. Uh, <laughs> because be good. You're very you're, passionate very, about this topic. Well, I am, and there's a lot. There's a lot to it. So I feel like I wanted to have all my you know ducks yeah. in a row, so yeah. I can. Oh, getting a message. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel okay. like we're both a little or a little tired today. Well, I've quit coffee. Oh, yeah. And I'm on day seven. This is my first podcast, Sans Coffee. Yeah. So we might all fall asleep together. <laughs> That's true. And I drove Magnolia all over town today um, and drove her to our friend uh, Teresa Palmer's house where I met you. Yes. <laughs> we, I was there with Sabrina. And we went for a little kitty pool party, which was really fun. And Sabrina ate an entire enormous slice of pizza. <laughs> it was pretty awesome to watch. <laughs> it was incredible. But you know what? It kind of makes me feel like maybe I need to be a little more proactive in Magnolia actually eating things because Sabrina is how old now? 19 months. 19 months. So she's, I guess not. She's nine months older than Magnolia. So she's, I mean, I was. Your daughter just turned a year. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, Magnolia oh. doesn't really eat, like... When did they start? Like, six months? I've forgotten everything. I don't know. I don't even remember. Wait, what is so... she... Well, she eats things, but... Uh, solids. But she, but it's more like I have to, like, take little pieces and give them to her. But Sabrina has all of her teeth, right? She has a lot of chompers. Yeah. So today we're talking about something that is is big in the news, especially in this last week. Bianca's been sending me lots of texts at night about free-range parenting. Which we talked about. So we're going to get on our soapbox, and we yeah. have talked about we it. We talked about it in a previous episode a little bit, but we didn't have as many, I think, facts and kind of um, – We hadn't done our homework yet. Yeah. Well, and now there's this this couple whose name we can't pronounce. Miative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miative. Oh, that was pretty good, actually. I think you, um, I think you nailed we, it. We tried. We listened to a little radio thing, and the newscaster also said it very quickly because she probably didn't know how to pronounce it either. Miative. Miative. M-E-I-T-I-V. Okay. So what's so, the deal with this couple? Okay. The deal is this couple has two children, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. And in January, they were walking home from a park a mile away, and they were – uh, they got in trouble. The parents got in trouble with Child Protective Services. And um, they investigated them for neglect. And because they were upset that that these kids were allowed to just roam without any supervision. And so the case ended in February. It was uh, unsubstantiated neglect. It was the decision, right? right. So the parents kept doing what they do, which is free-range parenting, and uh, in the past couple weeks, the police picked up the kids again. And what's really sucky about this is 
the authorities picked up the kids and they kept them in custody for five and a half hours. The kids were supposed to come home at six o'clock at night and they didn't come home and the parents didn't know where they were. Yeah. And they were with Child Protective Services who didn't call them until I think like at eight o'clock at night or something crazy. But here's the one thing I want to know, because somebody called the cops. Yes. Initially on the kids. And for the kids, for, you would say. apparently for the for the kids, and I read somewhere that it was a neighbor, but then you found somewhere else that it was just a stranger, right? I found from a news source, from a news was, source, <laughs> it was a stranger. Uh-huh. It was a stranger. Um, there's an audio recording everyone can listen to where uh, the guy calls, you know, calls nine one one and says, "I've." follow you know these these two kids came up and pet my dog can, and- we, can we listen to that can we hear that montgomery county public safety communication operator 15822 this line is recorded how may i help you walking my dog okay two kids that are unaccompanied and they've been walking around for probably about 20 minutes by themselves okay how old do they look maybe seven little boy maybe about seven eight little girl maybe about six Okay, and you don't see any parents around them? No, ma'am. Okay, have you have you talked to them to see, you know, why hey. are they just walking around by themselves? No, no, they came up and asked to pet my dog. I let them, and uh, that was it. And I just, so. Okay, are, are they still with you, or you already left? No, no I'm, I'm walking behind them. I don't want to scare them. Here's my question. Why didn't he ask? Like, why didn't he... I mean, I understand his concern, and it's, it's nice that he's concerned, but why didn't he just ask, like, where are your parents? Maybe he was afraid that they would think then that he was a child molester. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see that. I think it's funny that it was only 20 minutes. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think this guy had any ill But here, But here's the other thing, though. He said that they came and they talked to him about wanting to pet his dog. So he's having a conversation with them. It's not like he's just walking up to them and says, right. where are your parents? I mean, he could have said, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess. And yeah, what, but, okay. So let's say he's – he asked them that and yeah. they said, well, my parents are at home. They let us just roam around all day. Do you think? Or, or to say like, you know, we can, we're going to be home at six. We're, we're able to be here at the park and then our parents want us home at six. Yeah. They, I don't, they weren't at the park at that point. I think they were probably walking back from the park. Maybe. So they yeah. were on the street. I don't know. Well, it, you Let's know. keep listening for a second. Okay. I'll tell you right now. We are on Fenton Street, passing Heathcliff. Fenton Street, passing Heathcliff? Yes, ma'am. Going toward uh, Montgomery College. Okay. And sir, I'm sorry, That again, that was Fenton Street and Heathcliff? No, Heathcliff. E-A-S-L-E-Y. Okay, easily. Okay, thank you. Stop somewhere and be seen by the police officer or no? Say again? Did you want to stop somewhere to be seen by the police officer or no? No, I just follow the kids and make sure that they don't. Okay. You know. And did you did you ask them their name or did they tell you their name? No, they just came and said, "Hey, can I pet your dog?" And I said, "Yeah." And they pet it and then they started walking. Okay. Said, I first noticed them at the Ellsworth dog park. What's funny to me about the dog park thing is that if a dog is running around a neighborhood. <laughs> People go crazy to pick up the dog, right? They? They're like, "We got to find the tags, and we got." Well, it. yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a little different. Obviously, it's it's you know, 
Yeah. I mean, a dog on the loose, there's a lot more worries of a dog doesn't know maybe to stop for traffic or, you know, we worry about the dog getting hit. It does a six-year-old. You know, I don't I don't know if a six-year-old does, but I, I think the 10-year-old certainly no, I was with – I'm just trying to play the other side. Yeah, I listen. I hear you. But but so you guys, what's going to be great about today's episode is we're going to have our moms call in and talk about their childhoods and kind of where you know free range parenting wasn't even really a thing because that's just the way that it was. That's just the way the parenting was. And I certainly know, at least for me, growing up um, outside of Seattle, we lived in a very kind of densely wooded area. I mean, it could have easily been cakewalk for somebody to take one of us and drag us off into the to the forest. I mean, there was – and we walked everywhere by ourselves. As simple as going down to the end of the street to to get picked up for our, by our carpool in the morning, um, you know, like six, seven in the morning. And this is – I don't know. I'm trying to think what age I was. But I really early I remember having the freedom to go do whatever I wanted to do. And – I think it's – I was going to read you a couple of these comments. I went mm-hmm. on to where one of the uh, articles was about this and um, I just thought these – the comment section for me was almost more interesting than the actual article itself. Uh, one person said, in 1969, my husband pulled up outside a country store in upstate New York nose to nose with an old caddy and ran in to get smokes. I was startled to see four little toe-headed youngsters in the caddy with a full-grown tiger. <laughs> what? The father arrived and passed out ice cream bars. The tiger in the back seat leaned over the front seat where the oldest boy was unwrapping his ice cream. The boy bopped the tiger on the nose and it retreated back to its corner. Was I startled? Yes. Did I consider calling the cops? No. I assumed the father knew what he was doing. I later learned the cub was raised with the family. I was raised in an Italian family where I sucked on a whiskey-soaked rag when I was teething (laughs) and had watered-down wine with Sunday dinner. My family taught me how to drink responsibly so it held no fascination. The dominant culture likes to think everything should be done one way with no proof that their one way is the best way. Okay, certainly like – Thank you, commenter. That's great. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I mean I think what's difficult is that like we talked – before in a previous podcast, there does seem to be this perception that the world is a more dangerous place. And the fact of the matter is it's not. Yeah, it's not more dangerous today than it was before. Uh, The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, they say that only one hundredth of one percent of missing children are abducted by strangers or even slight acquaintances. Okay, so – Having your children roam around is probably safer than having them, like, hang out with people you know. Yeah, or in the house. I mean, yeah. or, or by the way, riding with you in your car somewhere yeah. is more dangerous than your child walking down the street to go to the park, probably. And – Well, yeah. this, this family in Maryland has sparked such a crazy debate. And there are online petitions about how to get the government – off parents' backs. You know, there's this, all this talk about, like, the government nanny state. Yeah. they're trying to sort of control how people choose to parent. And it's it's funny to me because I, I think of, like, the get your laws off my body thing. And it's like, well, get your laws off my kids. Yeah. And, like, I wish that they could trust that we know what's best for our children. Although some people probably don't. I don't know. I see both sides of it. Look, the landscape has changed drastically. Like we'll talk to our moms about it, but things have changed. I mean, the intersections are so busy 
and I'm yeah. not worried about abductions. I'm, but there isn't the neighborhood feel anymore. People don't know each other, so there aren't people some, looking out. Some places, that's some places. Like my neighborhood, everybody's looking out for each other. I mean, and I so yeah, you said like that a about three block radius, right? Or is it more? Uh, well, you mean you're talking about like where the entire town knew each other? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just saying that if. In Venice, if Magnolia went further than three blocks, you're going to hit an area or an intersection where people. Yeah, but that. Know I mean, but how has that really changed all that much? I mean, also, by the way, you, yeah. then when you want to look at it that way, my husband, who grew up in Los Angeles, you didn't even go to Venice. Growing up in Los yeah. Angeles, Venice was a no-no. I mean, you you would go to Compton before you would hey, go to Venice. I've seen lords of dog town. Okay, <laughs> you know it makes me think of this conversation I had with one of my neighbors last week. We I went to go meet her to go on a uh, down to the park with our girls, and um, this little nine year old girl runs out of her house and down the street and into a house, a couple houses down. I said, "Who's that?" And she goes, "Oh, it's my neighbor, so and so. I can't remember her name. Um, she's nine, and her." parents are at work today so I'm watching her and the neighbor across the street is keeping an eye on her but she's allowed to be in her house if she's doing homework or whatever and then she'll come and hang out with one of us and um, she said you know it's so crazy because her stepson is nine years old and she's like I would let this girl do things I would never think about letting my stepson do and it made me realize like how different every child is. You you don't I mean, there probably are some kids that at six years old have no business crossing a busy street by themselves. I would take a gamble and say that there are some six year olds out there that are capable of at least being able to cross the street. You know, I don't know if they should be out running around by themselves, but the point being you know, every it depends ki- every, on the, every kid, kid is one different. One kid will burn the house down in a day and another kid is totally fine. Yeah. I feel like there were lots of times when I was home by myself in elementary school and I would walk to and from school by myself and it was fine. And I'd walk to the park that was six blocks away. Yeah. And that was fine. Like with a friend right. who was also my age and no one watching over us to make sure we weren't going to get kidnapped. Um, that one hundredth of one percent is just like so mind blowing. Well, and here's the other thing too. You know, I encourage all of our listeners to go online and really look up statistically the things that you are fearful of, the things that you think you know when it comes to abductions. Um, I know on the other podcast I was talking about how fearful we are all are of our. Uh, the Halloween candy, everyone's mm-hmm. like, I mean, there are the razors. There are hospitals that actually offer at Halloween for parents to come and have their candy x rayed. So then their kids are going to eat radiation. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Way to go, Doc. But the problem is that we have gotten to a place where we have 24 hour news media and yes. they need to get people to watch it's that. Fear, fear, fear. Yes. You're watching Atomic Moms at 10, 9, 8, 7. We're going to keep talking. Now we're going to switch subjects. We're going to keep talking. Every parent's worst nightmare. It's like trying to get you. They were outside for more than five minutes. (laughs) A stranger said hello. That was the end. (laughs) But also in this same kind of line of, of thought is the fact that today kids are so Overscheduled 
So every minute of their day is a mommy group or a sports practice or a extracurricular activity of some kind. And And it starts before preschool. I know all these moms that are like, well, on Mondays – and I get this because you don't want to go nuts. But this whole idea of like creating a curriculum for your child pre-preschool – feels a little intense to me. Well, also, it doesn't allow your child to create their own experience. And also... Creativity comes from boredom. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, we were out in our backyard playing till the sun went down in the forest making up I know. crazy imagine you know imaginative games my first entrepreneurial exploit was a dead bird died in our front yard and i decided i was going to do burials for dead birds <laughs> and that, that i was going to have a funeral since so fitting home Ellie. for dead birds that died in front yards and that wouldn't have happened if i had been inside looking at a screen exactly do you know that the average child uh in the united states spends 7 to nine minutes a day outside. Yeah, that's so disgusting. It's disgusting. And, you know, I mean, we, okay, my brother and sister and I, we had this game called Candyland that we made up. And in our backyard, we had a big. Wait, you did not make up Candyland. We did make it up. It was based on the board game, but the actual, it was live action Candyland. (laughs) And it was in my backyard. And it started the same way. We had a big toy with swings and it was our ship and we'd be on the ship. And then somebody that would be on the lookout would be like, oh, my God, the water, it's turning brown and red and white. And then somebody would dip their hand in and they'd be like, it's chocolate. (laughs) And then the boat would crash. Yeah. and, And we'd all spill out onto this island. And then we turn around and this, I mean, we played this daily and the same beginning always. And then we turn around and the boat was sinking and we couldn't see it anymore. And we had to survive on this candy island and there were enemies and there were friends. So the enemies were like um, the cookie monster <laughs> and the hot dog man. And sometimes my mom, just to humor us, would go and like throw some pieces of candy out in the grass. So it would be Aww. like re- there was real candy. And then every once in a while we would take the canoe across the chocolate river to toothbrush and toothpaste land and brush our teeth (laughs) and drink some water i mean it was like this whole game and we would fight these evil evil monsters and prevail and i mean this is making me really sad that i didn't have siblings for so many years (laughs) i was burying dead birds (laughs) you were reenacting Candyland. yeah so yeah it makes me really sad when i think about kids that are just plunked in front of the television um for hours on end and you know, and also I think, too, like as parents, we're encouraged to be a part of everything with our kids. And I have to say, like, one of the great things for me growing up was that um, my mom worked at a certain point. My dad worked full time. And I remember going and having like volleyball games where neither of my parents could come. Um, and they came when they could. Mm-hmm. But I loved those nights. Mm-hmm. I loved to have my own experience where I could play and it wasn't being recorded, um, you know, mentally by someone in my family. Like I got to go home mm-hmm. and share what happened and no one else had experienced it. You know, I mean, I think that's so important for kids to be able to bear witness to their own story and not have someone else there who's going to tell it for them. That reminds me of how, Bianca, have you ever had an audition where you're doing it, but you, you almost see yourself like you're a fly on the wall. Yeah, like an out-of-body out-of-body experience. experience where you're just sort of witnessing it and it makes you self-conscious and weird. 100%. 
I feel like that's what parents do to children all the time. <laughs> yes, that's a great call. That's no, I mean that's a really like. <laughs> why are you laughing at me? Because <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> no. Because what our listeners don't know is that I just had like a total brain freeze. Bianca gave me a piece of grapefruit that I like choked on, <laughs> which was more dangerous. And then than you were brilliant. Parenting. And then I was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. But it's true because you get that the nervousness that can come from you know when your parent makes you their entire life. The pressure of that, there's just so much pressure there. I loved that I'd get dropped off at dance class for four hours a day or whatever. I mean, it was just super intense. But I I loved that my mom wasn't sitting there the whole time watching me and critiquing me because that wouldn't have been fun. You know, it's also like I love my cousin who is five years older than me and lives in, in Sweden, and she has uh, a boy and a girl. And they came to visit us, and Julia, her oldest, was sitting at the table, and Mary Lou said, oh, my God, this Julia has this amazing story. And she stopped, and she looked at Julia, and she said, do you mind if I tell it? And Julia said, oh, yeah, that's fine. And, oh, my God, I just – I don't know. That was so impactful for me because – I and then later I told her. I said, I love that you did that. And she said, well, you know, when I remember when I was a kid, people would always tell my stories and I hated it. And she said, so I always ask if she minds if I tell it or if she wants her to tell it herself or if she doesn't want it told. And I respect whatever her wishes are. Um, and I just – like that's – Let's raise our kids in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty amazing by the way. There, there's more more amazing things about Sweden th- than just my cousin Mary Lou. Yeah. Um, they can free range. They have probably zero point zero 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 abductions. Well, kids – isn't this family by the way that we're talking about? Didn't they li- Didn't they grow up in Germany? Aren't they German? We don't Are know. They, Bianca? I don't know. Maybe we should check that out. No, I, I seriously, I think that they're. I think yeah. that they grew up uh, in Germany. The parents, and this is why the they're so open with this because in when you know where they wherever they lived, I'll find out and make that a fact. This is the way that they were able to to go about their day, and their kids could walk wherever. I mean, I know when we would go visit my family in Europe, I was always so excited about how much freedom we had. I found a really cool blog on Bloomberg, and it's by Megan McArdle, and it's called Seven Reasons We Hate Free-Range Parenting. So I clicked on it because I thought it was going to be like snarky, anti-free-range, but it wasn't. It was like clickbait, and I fell for it because (laughs) it was just basically what are the seven ways why we don't do free-range anymore, okay? And two of them that I thought were interesting – were the first was mobile phones. Basically, because it's so easy to call authorities now with your mobile phone, that's why this kind of stuff is happening. Because before, if a kid was left in a car or something and you didn't have your phone, you'd have to go and bother like <laughs> the gas station attendant for a phone. Or find a quarter and then underneath by the your time seat. You did, the parent would probably come back. So cell phones was one reason. It's just so much more convenient these days to do that. And then The other one was mothers working. And what I thought was really crazy about this is the idea that back in the day when all the moms were home, Mm -hmm. they didn't want to watch their kids all day. Like they were bored with their toddlers. And so they were allowed to go play. And now that that a lot of mothers are working and paying for childcare, 
It's like, no, you need to watch my child every second and make sure you know exactly what they're doing and sort of that it's feeding that. Oh, because it's so true. And because you also don't have the moms like on the porch being like, oh, there goes Freddie. Like where you've <laughs> kind of had this feeling that other people are looking out for your kid. Right, right. Well, that might be a good uh, segue to to get our own mamas on the phone and, yeah. and find out not only what their childhoods were like, but also maybe they get a little insight into, into ours and what they think of this whole free-range thing. We'll be right back with our moms. Hi, Mom. I want to introduce you to my co-host, Bianca. Hey Bianca, this is Mom. Hey. Mom, this is Bianca. Oh, the wonders of technology. Meeting each other digitally. Across yeah. the Actually, did we did meet um, on the. Oh, that's right. We did. Oh, right, right, right. Brini's first trip to the yes. to uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. I do remember. Um, and your little one was in the oven. Oh yeah, she's out now. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> uh, it's really funny though. She always points to my stomach and says "baby," Aww. and I think oh, really? it's so weird. I don't. I mean, I. Um, Jessica, my nanny, seems to think she's mispronouncing belly, but I think she's really saying baby. Yeah. She knows that Mm. they come from there. Yeah. Uh, And Magnolia's birthday was last week, like mine. Yeah. Two days apart. April babies. April babies. Okay, Mom, we want to talk free-range parenting. Let's go back to your beginning. And uh, I'm assuming everyone did free-range parenting when you were growing up. There was no such thing as free-range parenting, just what people did. (laughs) (laughs) It's somehow it's become invented, and it's not that way at all. It's the way it always was. So so where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, actually, Um, suburban New Jersey and a suburb outside of uh, my father worked in New York City. Uh, So it was a suburban area, but... Did you go into New York City a lot? We would go once a year between Thanksgiving and Christmas to go to Rockefeller Center to see the ice skating and the Christmas lights on the trees and to go to FAO Schwartz, the child store, and we were allowed to pick one present there that we wanted to see under the tree. But it was fun. It was an annual trip. And my mom took me to New Jersey a few years ago to see where she grew up. And when we went past the house that I think you were in elementary school and mom, maybe you said that everyone was just kicked out of the house all day and you weren't allowed to come home until dusk. Was that true? That's right. The rule was you got up in the morning and you went out. And I mean, this was even, I was thinking we moved from that house when I was in second grade. So I was <laughs> in first grade, second grade. Oh and <laughs> I'm not kidding. We, we were, you were out the door and you were told to come home when the street lights came on. Unless you're not allowed in the house. And here she is, people. She's alive and well talking to us. <laughs> I survived. But, you know, again, we just, it was, you know, it was great. We went out, we made friends, we, you know, roamed the neighborhood. Um, I don't think we did anything terribly uh, bad to anything. But, yeah, we, we were very adventuresome. And we, we survived. One time, my brother disappeared. I guess he followed the dogs. <laughs> And they found him a couple miles away with the dogs, and the state police brought him home. Um, but you know how different 
that time was than today, given the story that's in the news now. I mean, when they found him, they, they realized he was gone. He followed the dogs. They found him a couple miles away. The state police found him, picked him up, and they brought him home. And, um, the, and then they just dropped him off. Today, Nobody. So there was no child protective services like today saying, you know, like this today, today there would have there would be probably an Amber Alert. There would yeah. be there would be local, at least news coverage. Correct. Yeah. Right. I'd be freaking out. Did Nana was Nana super scared that she or did she not know because they weren't expected till <laughs> after dusk? Well, I mean, I don't know. He was a little bit younger then, but but yeah, they were all worried. They were terrified. But and was the thing most memorable part of it for me obviously was that uh when they did get him home they said oh you know nancy don't you want a you know a scoop of ice cream i went no i don't want a scoop and they said well you're going to get one but your brother's not that's going to be his punishment (laughs) (laughs) so so does that make you feel guilty whenever you eat ice cream now yeah, I, I always think of it. I, <laughs> we, were, we were glad we were glad to have him home. But yeah, we used to play down in the drainage ditches and out in the back. You know, uh, another place we you know we'd walk you know a half a mile or better to school. Um, Ellie, I think when you were growing up, that was you know that was one of the great things about living in the neighborhood where we did was that you were able to walk to school, and that's a wonderful experience for children. I know. I remember walking with our dogs and you and me to school in the morning when I was little. Do you in first grade would I walk? I walked home alone. Did I walk to school alone too? I'd walk you down to the corner to the crossing guard because um, there was there was a busy street, and then. Uh, she, you know, you'd walk across the street. I mean, kindergarten, you, you, uh, or first grade, you, we kind of walked a little bit further with you, but then later it got to the point where, yeah, we just kind of met you on the corner. And yeah. And then there was like another home. big block before the school. Right. There was a few blocks Yeah. And away. we were in Houston, downtown yeah, we Houston. Downtown Houston. And one ridiculous thing is we had dogs and they would meet me. We had a golden retriever who would meet me at the crosswalk. I don't know, Mom, the backyard, the dogs are always getting out. Like, we had two Welsh corgis that would show up at recess. And, and um, they were free-range pets. They would just show up and at recess time, and all the kids would play with the dogs, and I'd end up sitting in the principal's office with the dogs. And our golden retriever, I remember one time I walked home from school, and he was just sitting on the opposite side of the street where the crossing guard is waiting for me Aww. to walk home with me. Yeah, he was a good boy. Laddie uh, was good. That's so sweet. So what Ellie was horrified when the corgis ended up in the principal's office. <laughs> I, I got called home from work. <laughs> Multiple times. That's really funny. I'd have to sit there on the floor with these dogs. Actually, in third grade, the teacher made our entire class go to the bathroom to wash their hands after they had played with my dogs at recess, and it made me feel so embarrassed and, like, ashamed. Because I was like, oh, she thinks our dogs are dirty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, what about extracurricular activities? What about after school? Were, did you have a, a lot of things scheduled, or was were, did you have more free time to yourself? Uh, I was working. So I was at the office until like six o'clock at night. So we, we had a, um, a woman who would come every afternoon and pick up Ellie after school. Uh, but you either. had some, you, you had, Ellie had dance, what, two, twice a week, three times a week, but it wasn't, we didn't do a whole lot more than that. I mean, we, 
Um, I was obsessed with dance. Pretty much, I was at the office. <laughs> and and what about when you were a kid? What 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 was oh, when your? I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I come home after school. I we lived. Um, we had horses at home. That was my love and passion. So oh. I spent my time out in the barn. I was cleaning stalls and doing whatever. And yeah, then I I really they'd have to drag me back into the house. <laughs> I had a lot more fun out there. <laughs> What do you think about this family in Maryland? Uh, you know, I just think there was no such thing as free-range, you know, parenting or kids when we were growing up because that's just the way everybody was. And I think it's at least the facts as I have read them. Um, it's it's really unfortunate. Although I can understand some people's concern given the busyness of the streets and the the neighborhood that they lived in. I was looking at the story and I thought, well, I can understand why. And I guess. You know, whoever made the 911 call, that man was, I, you know, I can't fault him for that. But I do think that, um, I, I, you know, the fact that then three police cars come and pick them up and take these children into custody and didn't bother to tell the parents for three hours is, is really atrocious. Uh, and I think it's, it's unfortunate. I did look up, um, while I was looking at this, uh, I think the Washington Post had an article. There's a list of the uh, minimum age of uh, latchkey children, home alone children, which is kind of an interesting list of states and the various ages that they have. What uh, was Texas? And I had no idea that states have ages for that. Oh, wow, yeah. So, for example, California, there is no minimum age. Colorado, it's 12. Illinois, it's 14. That seems you can't insane. Stay home alone until People 14. have babies at 14. <laughs> like, I know. that's ridiculous. Wow, it's wild. And of course, Texas, there's no age. So, um, yeah, Texas, that's like yeah. a two month old. Just yeah, Roman. So I don't, Bianca, where did you grow up? Where, what was the minimum age for you? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't remember. I, I grew up um, a little bit just outside of Seattle, but I don't remember what the minimum age was. I mean, I remember I was babysitting when I was 13. Yeah. So, what about that? Yeah. I, I can't imagine that it was, yeah. it was you know, older than that, for sure, obviously. But, yeah, I think that's crazy, too. Because, like, if I think about a 13-year-old taking care of Magnolia, that, is, <laughs> that seems really scary yeah, to but me. But Magnolia right can't walk. I mean. Right. But I took care of little kids. Oh, you took care of babies. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, they. I think they need to. The children. I mean, uh, babysitting at different ages for that it can be scary. But of course, if you have younger siblings, then parents may be more inclined to impress the services of the older one yeah. <laughs> at an earlier yeah. age. That's uh, true. But uh, you know, kids. I think they need to get out and to you know be able to explore and be on their own a little bit and not be so hyper scheduled and you know with the helicopter parents and every minute. Um, accounted for. I agree. Me too. I loved going to Fleming Park. I'd walk there. I'd walk. Yeah. I was a free range baby. <laughs> Maybe that's why free I'm so range nervous. Baby? <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so nervous now. <laughs> no. Um, well, Mom, thank you so much for thanks coming for calling on. in. Okay, guys, it, it was great. Thanks. Thanks. Mom's first episode was the sex episode, the first one she listened to. So we're still like (laughs) blushing about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. Talk to you later tonight.
Hey, Mom. <laughs> yeah, I said I was ready, and then I took a big gulp of water. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Nelly. And uh, this is this is my mom, Patty Kylick's first appearance on Atomic Moms. Woohoo! Very exciting. Whoa, my gosh. I can't believe that you even asked me to do this. Hi, everybody. So, Mom, we're talking about free-range parenting. And we're talking okay. about we wanted to call our moms and talk about what your childhood was like when you were growing up. What what things were you allowed to do that you realized like, that people – don't allow their kids to do nowadays. Um, things, yeah. Yeah, because my, my mom had a crazy family of six kids. And there's some some pretty good stories told around the holiday dinner tables about their time growing up together. So I feel like we're going to get – we could get a crazy story or two out of my mom at this point probably. Yeah, she probably will. <laughs> First, just let me say, you know, I mean, clearly I have had a few big round birthdays, so – my uh, childhood was primarily in the 50s, so I suppose you could even have a, a couple of cliches just right around that. But I, I just want to say, you know, I mean, we I was raised uh, in an era when it, where there were no car seats, uh, believe it or not. I, I know it's an, impossible to imagine that. No seatbelts, uh, no helmets. I think it's also fair to say we also didn't have 24 hours news coverage either. So I think, you know, there are lots of changes that have occurred in that period of time. But it is probably significant to to let you know that when I was under the age of one year, uh, I was kidnapped. Oh, my goodness. And I I was an infant. (laughs) And um, so, you know, bad things did happen even back then in those good old days that we talk about. and fortunately, it was, and I, I mention it because it was um, kind of a East Coast to West Coast move, and and uh, there was a transfer at the train station in Chicago, and and that's where it took place. So uh, it was a young woman that had helped my mom out with me, and had gotten a bit attached over the days uh, she was meeting my father, so he hadn't traveled with her. So um, she was your nanny, or your sister? I was discovered rather quickly, and I think the whole thing played out in about a half an hour, and. She was, she was just another train passenger that that no, you're oh, okay. yeah that my mom uh, was with her mom and she was being helpful right mom right right Nana was uh, traveling alone with a a small child and the train trip was quite lengthy in those days and she was worried that she'd fall asleep and and be neglectful so this young 19 year old woman traveling alone offered to help and then that help became. Uh, holding and oh, can I change your diaper? And then it, uh, over the course of the trip, they became you know my mom was a young, twenty one year old, so she wasn't that much older than her. So they they kind of struck up a friendship, and this young gal was so helpful and so uh, good with me. And then my mother got to be more and more comfortable, and she actually would take a nap and sleep. And uh, so when they got to the train station, which in Chicago is huge, multi block train station. They decided to go have a, a a bite to eat, a cup of coffee while that we're waiting for the transfer. And and your grandfather was coming to to join her, and this young girl had not given any information except her first name, and um, then she was going to leave and go her way. And she had told my mom she lived in Chicago, so she before 
this sounds like it was a very spontaneous, impulsive move. So they put me in this nursery that was in the bottom part of the coffee shop, and they had, um, you know, caretakers there for the weary travelers. And they went out, and the gal excused herself and said, well, it was wonderful meeting you, and left. And a short time later, my, my, my mom, your nana, went down to get me, and the caretaker said, well, the mother took her. And so uh, they had all security and Did they, ever they were, find her? you know, figuring out exactly where to go. And it was a huge place. And they just started following the screaming baby sound and ultimately found her in a cab ready to take off holding me. So Whoa. bad thing happened even then. So even as uh, kind of carefree as a child, childhood I had growing up. But to answer your question. Wait, I have a quick question uh, uh, jumping yes. off of that. Being kidnapped as a small child, how were you able to let your kids run around the neighborhood by themselves growing up? Like, did you hold on to any of that fear from at least hearing Um, the stories that you had been kidnapped? No, I mean, for the most part, it was sort of legend and lore, and it almost didn't feel real. I probably was more traumatized by other stories and experiences that happened around. So it was more a matter of not letting those kinds of things interfere because that's part of life. And um, the more newsworthy the item and, and the more excessive our access to the news and the media came, um, you know, you, you're, you're saturated with it. So it was just learning how to, to deal with as we do in general in life and just not being an erotic mess and putting one foot out the front door, as we know, some people don't manage very well. So, I would just say that I think that I can only speak for myself from the experience of growing up in in that uh, period of time, but it was also relative to where I grew up and the environment and the community. So I do remember one situation when I was in first grade. This was a different house. We lived up a hill from a very busy highway would by no means be confused with the freeway now, but it was probably like a four-lane highway. It was busy. And Greyhound bus was the only transportation. So it was from the little town where I went to the parochial school. And as um, kids, we would wait at the bus stop, but I was first grade. So I'd wait at the bus stop for for the bus, get on the bus, and it would go quite a ways, so I would say maybe five miles out of town, and it would drop me off on the opposite side of that highway oh from God. where my house was. So I couldn't get across the highway by myself. And Nana would, at that time, drive down the drive, the big hill from our house, our neighborhood, and she'd pick up the mail, which was down there, and then she'd do a U-turn across the four lanes, and she'd pick me up. So I'd be standing by the side of the highway. Usually she timed it pretty well. Well, one day I uh, got off the bus and I saw her car come down and she got the mail and she looped around, drove past me and um, went back up the hill. (laughs) (laughs) And and left me there. (laughs) Had you been naughty um, or did she forget? I I thought, well... That's not normal. Uh, So I didn't know what to do. Of course, you know, we have cell phones or anything at that time. So I remembered 
a neighborhood that was some friends of ours lived in. I was never allowed to walk there alone. I mean, it was definitely some distance from our house, but I walked down the side of this highway and, and I knew how to get to these friends' house and I went to their door. So, you know, I could have been second grade, but it was definitely under. But so you were, you were uh, resourceful and you figured out what to do in a situation where you got left. And right. Right. And she said she said that she didn't see me, and and I had a navy blue uniform, and in the plume of diesel smoke, uh, I was obscured, so uh, she missed me. But she was a basket case by the time I I reached her. I can tell that, but it didn't seem to change uh, my. It's not like she locked me up or <laughs> watched me any more carefully than I recall. Can you just tell me briefly a little bit about how your childhood affected? You, when you started to have your own kids and um, and maybe what you notice is different from when you had us to now kind of how you see the world is changing at this point in time. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think um, part of the change that I recognize that was different from my experience growing up was the community, the community that we lived in. We lived in a place where n- no matter uh, how far you moved, it was small enough that you really knew the people around you. So I, I just think that other than those scary areas outside, down on the freeways and so forth, we were proximal to people that we knew. And so when your father and I were raising you kids, of course, you know, we lived in a house that was in the middle of almost three acres. And so almost by necessity, your socialization and involvement in activities was such that you, we kind of arranged those things. And it was more by necessity than not. I think if any of the neighbors in the proximal area had had kids, uh, depending on a certain age, we, we wouldn't have worried about you going over to the close neighbors and you did no, ride your bike. I remember bike I used to ride my bike. Ed. I used to ride my bike about a mile or two to the Kohaya for swim team. Mm-hmm. And I used to ride my bike to the to the King's house, which was what, like about a mile away, the King's? Right, right. Yeah. Right. So I think that probably what what would only be different is the fact that um we were sensible enough and reasonable enough to have assessed not only your nature and your skills as kids and what was appropriate and what you were comfortable with. So um, we supported that, and, and, and we didn't do it overnight. I mean, we were building those skills slowly and giving you opportunity I can't think outright of, of any really scary things that happened, but we were cautious without being neurotic about it. I mean, I, I hear this term free range. Um, and I, I don't interpret that as, as being like crazy. And I'm sure there is that version of it. I don't think that it's like freewheeling or that you're not teaching the children, uh, safety without terrorizing them. I think there is such a thing as street smarts. And I think that's what we tried to, to teach you kids. I mean, do you do you recall being terrified of no. uh, scary boogeymen? Or, no, the only, so, time I, the only time I ever remember being scared is when I would watch the news. 
I mean, that's honestly, well, if there was yeah. a plane crash or if something hap- happened that was horrible on the news, then I would have nightmares about what I saw on the news. But no, I, I always felt that the world was a place to be explored. You know, I feel like you guys really instilled that within us and, and that I feel like we did have our freedom and our ability to go out. And I, I do feel that there was, there was a, a good balance of independence in our life while we were growing up. But we also built a sense of community, and um, yeah. that's kind of where you were exercising these skills. So I do think that there's the, you know, the opposite of the free range. As I, I'm always a little skeptical when it comes to these labels because that helicopter parenting, I mean, that goes to an extreme. Anything to an extreme right. is absolutely crazy. Um, ultimately, what we want, I believe, and what what Apu and I, your father and I wanted was independent, confident, capable kids, but you were still supported and you were taught the skills that you needed to have without being irresponsible and without challenging what, what we sensed your comfort level was and what our sensibilities were. Yeah. Just want to say thank you for calling in and letting us have you on the show. And um, well, thanks for asking me. I'm really honored. (laughs) Love you lots. um, I'm your number one fan. Love you. (laughs) Love you. Bye. Bye. All right. So we hope you guys enjoyed listening to our mom's take on their childhoods, our childhoods, you know, and Ellie, I think, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, as with always, you know, people have to do what they're comfortable with as parents. And I think our point here, what we've been talking about today is that you can try to protect your kids every which way till you're blue in the face. And the fact of the matter is, is you can't protect them from everything and they're going to grow up and go out into the world. And so maybe like my mom said, it's good to parent with caution to to teach your kids street smarts, but to also realize like you can't be an umbrella of protective arms around your kids forever. It's just not possible. And also my belief is you also don't want to raise kids who are so sheltered that when they go out into the world, it's such a shock that they aren't even able to be independent mm-hmm. beings on their own. To tag on to that, children that look at the world in a fearful way. Yeah. Like, that's so sad. That's huge. Like, don't you want to s- – I don't want to see the world as a dangerous place, which is why I don't watch the news. I don't watch the news either. Mike watches it sometimes, and um, I always have him turn it off when I come into the room because I do feel like – anybody out there who watches really violent programming, maybe do a little experiment and for a week stop watching it. Just watch really positive things because this is this is a real thing. Whatever you choose to bring into your brain is the perception that you will have of the world that you live in. And I have found – I used to watch those um, – It's like a filter. It's like you're looking 100%. through – I used to live, watch those uh, investigative discovery channel murder mystery things with Mike all the time. And I started finding myself so paranoid – Every time I went to the store. Actually, I was watching the Scientology documentary that's on HBO. And there's so many Scientology buildings in L.A. And it's like every, there's like a bumper sticker on a car down the street with Scientology. And it really creeped me out. And then suddenly everything seemed to be like Do you think like they're coming crazy, after you with their, with their not crazy yet, tube? But and I've they're going to try and erase I've your got, past. Yeah, it might I've be good for you, Ellie. 
Oh, yeah, some clearing. Well, great. Now we're probably on the some list awesome. for even mentioning Scientology. I'm just saying you watch a documentary like that, then everything kind of freaks you out. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have a mom bomb. Uh, my girlfriend, Elizabeth, who is a listener, gave me um, this great little bag, like a little travel bag, like a little – like you put makeup in it. Yeah. Or – you know, train tickets to Paris or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll never get to go there again. No. It's a quote by Jack Kerouac, and it is, Live, travel, adventure, bless, and don't be sorry. Oh, that's that's really good, I feel like, in light of what we've been talking about today. I like that. It sums it up. My Mom's Session is a book that I have talked about uh, on the podcast before. It's um, called Free Range Kids, How to Raise Safe, Self-Reliant Children Without Going Nuts with Worry. The author is Lenore – I can't even say her last name – Skenazy, S-K-E-N-A-Z-Y. We'll put it up on our Instagram um, and on Facebook. But you know, if you're interested in the actual statistics, this woman wrote a very smart book about the reality of the world that we live in um, and that our kids live in. And reading it brought me great peace and made me feel more confident about you know sending my children out to the world. So I highly, highly recommend it for all of you. I hope that you guys are not hating us by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Why would they hate us? I don't know. For having an I, opinion. Uh, Oh, no, because we're all over the place. I feel like with our with our uh, our little come on, it's the magic of editing, right? Yes. No, not at all. Whatever. <laughs> you know, it's almost five o'clock. We, We've we we're gonna hit traffic. We've got a lot going on tonight. We're moms, damn we're it. We're moms, and we have a little mommy brain, and that's okay. Yeah. Um. So with that being said. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. And rock on, Atomic Atomic Moms. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing job. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.